When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America The rule against perpetuities is a legal rule in the Anglo-American common law that prevents people from using legal instruments, usually a deed or a will, to exert control over the ownership of private property for a time long beyond the lives of people living at the time the instrument was written. Specifically, the rule forbids a person from creating future interests, traditionally contingent remainders and executory interests, in property that would best be on 21 years after the lifetimes of those living at the time of creation of the interest, often expressed as a life and being plus 21 years. In essence, the rule prevents a person from putting qualifications and criteria in a deed or will that would continue to affect the ownership of property long after he or she has died, a concept often referred to as control by the dead hand or mortmain. The basic elements of the rule against perpetuities originated in England in the 17th century and were crystallized into a single rule in the 19th century. The rule's classic formulation was given in 1886 by the American legal scholar John Chipman Gray. No interest is good unless it must best, if at all, not later than 21 years after some life in being at the creation of the interest. John Chipman Gray, Rule Against Perpetuities Section 201 the rule against perpetuity serves a number of purposes. First, English courts have long recognized that allowing owners to attach long-lasting contingencies to their property harms the ability of future generations to freely buy and sell the property, since few people would be willing to buy property that had unresolved issues regarding its ownership hanging over it. Second, judges often had concerns about the dead being able to impose excessive limitations on the ownership and use of property by those still living. For this reason, the rule only allows testators, willmakers, to put contingencies on ownership upon the following generation plus 21 years. Lastly, the rule against perpetuities was sometimes used to prevent very large, possibly aristocratic estates from being kept in one family for more than one or two generations at a time. The rule also applies to options to acquire property. Often, one of the objectives of delaying the time of vesting is to avoid or reduce taxation of some sort. For example, a bequest in a will may be to one's grandchildren, often with a life interest to one surviving spouse and then to the children, to avoid the payment of multiple death duties or inheritance taxes on the testator's estate. The rule against perpetuities was one of the devices developed to at least limit this tax avoidance strategy. Historical Background The rule has its origin in the Duke of Norfolk's case of 1682. That case concerned Henry, 22nd Earl of Arundel, who had tried to create a shifting executory limitation so that some of his property would pass to his eldest son, who was mentally deficient, and then to his second son, and other property would pass to his second son, but then to his fourth son. The estate plan also included provisions for shifting property many generations later if certain conditions should occur. When his second son, Henry, succeeded to his elder brother's property, he did not want to pass the other property to his younger brother, Charles. Charles sued to enforce his interest, and the court, in this instance, the House of Lords, held that such a shifting condition could not exist indefinitely. The judges believed that tying up property too long beyond the lives of people living at the time was wrong, although the exact period was not determined until another case, 
Kadel v. Palmer, 150 years later. The rule against perpetuities is closely related to another doctrine in the common law of property, the rule against unreasonable restraints on alienation. Both stem from an underlying principle or reference in the common law disapproving of restraints on property rights. However, while a violation of the rule against perpetuities is also a violation of the rule against unreasonable restraints on alienation, the reciprocal is not true. As one has stated, the rule against perpetuities is an ancient, but still vital, rule of property law intended to enhance marketability of property interests by limiting remoteness of vesting. For this reason, another court has declared that the provisions of the rule are predicated upon public policy and thus constitute non-waivable, legal prohibitions. Common Law Black's Law Dictionary defines the rule against perpetuities as a common law rule prohibiting a grant of an estate unless the interest must vest, if at all, no later than 21 years, plus a period of gestation to cover a posthumous birth, after the death of some person alive when the interest was created. At common law, the length of time was fixed at 21 years after the death of an identifiable person alive at the time the interest was created. This is often expressed as lives in being plus 21 years. Under the common law rule, one does not look to whether an interest actually will vest more than 21 years after the lives in being. Instead, if there exists any possibility at the time of the grant, however unlikely or remote, that an interest will vest outside the perpetuities period, the interest is void and is stricken from the grant. The rule does not apply to interests in the grantor himself. For example, the grant for a so long as alcohol is not sold on the premises, then to be would violate the rule as to be however, the conveyance to be would be stricken, leaving to a so long as alcohol is not sold on the premises. This would create a fee simple determinable in A, with a possibility of reverter in the grantor or the grantor's heirs. The grant to be would be void as it is possible alcohol would be sold on the premises more than 21 years after the deaths of A, B, and the grantor. However, as the rule does not apply to grantors, the possibility of reverter in the grantor or his heirs would be valid. Statutory modification. Many jurisdictions have statutes that either cancel out the rule entirely or clarify it as to the period of time and persons affected. In England and Wales, dispositions of property subject to the rule before July 14, 1964 remain subject to the rule. The Perpetuities and Accumulations Act 1964 provides for the effect of the rule of interest created thereafter. The Perpetuities and Accumulations Act 2009 codified the wait-and-see doctrine developed by courts and made the perpetuity period 125 years. In Scotland there are similar provisions under the Trusts, Scotland, Act 1921. In the Republic of Ireland, the rule was abolished as of December 1, 2009. The states of the United States have differing approaches. Some states follow the wait-and-see approach, or second-look doctrine, and or apply the side-prey doctrine. Under the wait-and-see approach, the validity of a suspect future interest is determined on the basis of facts as they now exist at the end of the measuring life, and not at the time the interest was created. Under the side-prey doctrine, if the interest does violate the rule against perpetuities, the court may reform the grant in a way that does not violate the rule and reduce any offensive age contingency to 21 years. Other states have adopted the Uniform Statutory Rule Against Perpetuities, or some variant of it, which extends the waiting period typically to 90 years after creation of the interest. Full citation needed at least six states have repealed the rule in its entirety, and many have extended the vesting period of the wait-and-see approach for an extremely long period of time, in Florida, for example, 
up to 360 years for trusts. In Australia, each of the states has followed the UK approach to perpetuities, with statutory modification. In New South Wales, for example, the Perpetuities Act 1984 limits perpetuities to 80 years, but also adopts the wait-and-see approach. Application in the United States The rule against perpetuities is one of the most difficult topics encountered by law school students. It is notoriously difficult to apply properly. In 1961, the Supreme Court of California ruled that it was not legal malpractice for an attorney to draft a will that inadvertently violated the rule. In the United States, the common law rule has been abolished by statute in Alaska, Idaho, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Rhode Island, and South Dakota. A new U.S. uniform statutory rule against perpetuities was published in 1986 that adopts the wait-and-see approach with a flat waiting period of 90 years in place of the rule of life in being plus 21 years. As of 2018, 31 jurisdictions have adopted the new rule, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Indiana, Kansas, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oregon, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and West Virginia, and the District of Columbia and the U.S. Virgin Islands. In 2015, the New York State Legislature considered whether or not to adopt the new rule. Other jurisdictions apply the CPRE doctrine, which validates contingent remainders and executory interests. Under certain circumstances, the traditional rule would have considered these remainders and interests to be void. Applications In 1919, Lumber Baron Wellington Arbert died, leaving a will that specified that apart from small allowances, his estate was not to be distributed until 21 years after the death of the last of his grandchildren to be born in his lifetime. This condition was met in 2010, 21 years after his granddaughter Marion Lansill died in November 1989. After the heirs reached an agreement, the estate, which had reached an estimated value of between $100 to $110 million, was finally distributed in May 2011, 92 years after his death. Real estate developer Henry G. Freeman established the Henry G. Freeman Jr. Pin Money Fund, which was intended to provide an annuity of $12,000 per year to the First Lady of the United States. Freeman died in 1917, but no presidential spouse received any payments from the fund until after Freeman's then-living descendants died out in 1989. Although Freeman's will stated that the payments were intended to continue in force as long as this glorious government lasts, the trustees of the fund determined that maintaining the trust for more than 21 years after 1989 would violate the rule against perpetuities, and terminated the trust by agreement with then-First Lady Michelle Obama in 2010 to give the fund to charity instead. Hence, only four first ladies ever received payments from the fund. Charity to charity exception. The rule never applies to conditions placed on a conveyance to a charity that, if violated, would convey the property to another charity. For example, a conveyance to the Red Cross, so long as it operates an office on the property, but if it does not, then to the World Wildlife Fund would be valid under the rule, because both parties are charities. Even though the interest of the fund might not best for hundreds of years, the conveyance would nonetheless be held valid. The exception, however, does not apply if the conveyance, upon violation of the condition, is not from one charity to another charity. Thus, a device to John Smith, so long as no one operates a liquor store on the premises, but if someone does operate a liquor store on the premises, 
then to the Roman Catholic Church would violate the rule. The exception would not apply to the transfer from John Smith to the Roman Catholic Church because John Smith is not a charity. Also, if the original conveyance was to John Smith and his heirs for as long as John Smith or his heirs do not use the premises to sell liquor, but if he does, then to the Red Cross this would violate the rule because it could be more than 21 years before the interest in Red Cross would vest, and therefore, their interest is void. Thus leaving John with a fee simple determinable and the grantor a possibility of reverter. A famous actual example of this exception applies to Harvard's Widener Library. Eleanor Elkins Widener, the library's benefactor, stipulated that no additions or alterations could be made to the facade of the building. If the university ever changes the facade, it loses the building to the Boston Public Library. Because both Harvard and the Boston Public Library are charities, the restriction can apply indefinitely. Saving Clause In order to satisfy the rule against perpetuities, the class of people must be limited and determinable. Thus, one cannot say in a deed until the last of the people in the world now living dies, plus 21 years. To avoid problems caused by incorrectly drafted legal instruments, practitioners in some jurisdictions include a saving clause almost universally as a form of disclaimer. This standard clause is commonly called the Kennedy Clause or the Rockefeller Clause because the determinable lives in being are designated as the descendants of Joseph P. Kennedy, the father of John F. Kennedy, or John D. Rockefeller. Both designate well-known families with many descendants, and are consequently suitable for named, identifiable lives in being. For a time, it was popular to use a royal lives clause, and make the term of a deed run until the last of the descendants of, for example, Queen Victoria now living dies plus 21 years. Related rules. Jurisdictions may limit use of ruck periods. For example, if a corporation builds a ski slope, and gives rights of use, usufruct, as gifts to corporate partners, these cannot last in perpetuity, but must terminate after a period that must be specified, for example 10 years. A perpetual usufruct is thus forbidden and perpetual might mean a long, but finite period, such as 99 years. Here usufruct is distinct from a share, which may be held in perpetuity. Cultural References The rule against perpetuities figures as a prominent plot point in the 1981 film Body Heat. It also figured as a secondary plot line in the 2011 film The Descendants. A restraint on alienation, in the law of real property, is a clause used in the conveyance of real property that seeks to prohibit the recipient from selling or otherwise transferring their interest in the property. Under the common law such restraints are void as against the public policy of allowing landowners to freely dispose of their property. Perhaps the ultimate restraint on alienation was the fee tail, a form of ownership which required that property be passed down in the same family from generation to generation, which has also been widely abolished. However, certain reasonable restraints will be given effect in most jurisdictions. These traditionally include 1. A prohibition against partition of property for a limited time. 2. The right of first refusal, for example, if Joey sells property to Rachel, he may require that if Rachel later decides to sell the property, she must first give Joey the opportunity to buy it back. 3. The establishment of public parks and gardens, as was the case for the Royal Parks of London in the UK. These public spaces were created under such terms by the Crown Estate, which meant that these parks were held in perpetuity for the public to use. Some specific restraints on alienation in the United States include Disabling restraints to be effective the grantor must sue the grantee for enforcement. The effectiveness of the lawsuit could prevent the transfer from being made.
In addition, if the disabling restraint is found to be unconstitutional the restraint will not be effective. Promissory restraints. If the promissory note is breached by the grantee, the grantor may sue for damages. Unlike disabling restraints, the effectiveness of the lawsuit does not prevent the transfer from being made. However, the Supreme Court says promissory restraints are not permissible. The promissory note discourages the person getting ready to sell the property which is the same effect as the disabling restraint. Forfeiture restraints. In the event of a breach the property returns to the grantor or the grantor's heirs. The return happens automatically, hence the argument can be made that there are no state actions. However, according to a constitutional argument the mere fact that the state recognizes the validity of an automatic transfer makes it a state action. To be effective the restraint must be reasonable, and the restraint must be the same as a real covenant or equitable servitude. There are six factors to determine if a restraint on alienation is reasonable. 1. Type of price, fixed or not fixed, courts prefer non-fixed. 2. Purpose, is it a legitimate purpose or not? Courts prefer legitimate. 3. Equal bargaining power of the parties. 4. Duration, a time limit to the restraint is preferred. 5. Limit to the number of persons to which transfer is prohibited. 6. A restraint that increases the value of property is more reasonable. There are five basic conditions that must be met in order for there to be an effective real covenant and equitable servitude. 1. It must be enforceable. To be enforceable it must not be too vague, it must not violate a statute or the constitution, it must not violate public policy, and it must meet the requirements under the statute of frauds. 2. It must touch and concern the land. 3. It must be intended to run. 4. There must be privity between the successive occupants. 5. There must be notice of the existence of a real covenant slash equitable servitude. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America